This is the Strength Anger Podcast, part of the Berserker Strength Radio Network, featuring APF Illinois State Chairman Eric Stone, as well as AAPF AWPC Powerlifter Robert Bain. We are coming at you from 2XL Powerlifting in Lombard, Illinois, and you can find this podcast online on anchor.fm. All right, and we are back with yet another extra episode of Strength and Anger. Uh, I am going to do my best not to completely fanboy out. I'm not going to lie. Uh, my heart skipped a beat for a second because I'm actually talking on the phone right now with the Queen Bee herself, Laura Phelps. Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, very, very excited to connect with you. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I I audibly squeed uh, the first time that you responded back to me in, uh, on Instagram. Uh, when we were going back and forth oh, about Shit's Creek, and my wife's yeah, like, "Oh yeah, yeah." Yeah, my wife's like, "What is that?" I'm like, "That's Laura Phelps." She's like, "Okay," <laughs> and I'm like, that's, so that's right, funny. baby. You don't, you don't know. So I then explained, and my daughter comes downstairs, and you know, my daughter is a is a lifter as well, and she's like, "Like okay. the Laura Phelps, like Queen Bee." I'm like, "Uh, yeah," and that's my daughter so then squeals, which was really cool. So, uh, but yeah, right, so. Right. Welcome. All it is, over Schitt's Creek. Yes, exactly. Oh, ew. Ew, COVID. Uh, <laughs> well, cool. Well, uh, Laura, very sad we're, it's over, by the way. Right? I am very upset that it's over. We actually have not seen anything on season six yet because it's not on any of the streaming services. Uh, oh, okay. What are we talking about right now? Uh, Shit's Creek. Okay. So is that like <laughs> is that like Dawson's Creek? Uh, no, way funnier, way better. Oh, okay. Uh, way understood. better. Way yeah. Better. So uh, you can you know if you guys have stolen somebody's Netflix password, you can binge watch the first five seasons. But basically, it's an insanely rich family that loses all their money. And as a joke gift, like 15 years prior to this, the father had bought the son a small town in like New Jersey. And wow, yeah, this is the bottom of town. This bottom of town because that's okay. they just had that kind of fuck you money, and so <laughs> that was the only place they could live. And so it was just kind of that fish out of water type story. But it is, ah, okay. it is very very funny. So highly oh, yes. recommend. Yeah, Jackie got Netflix for very the month, good. so I've watched uh, all of the Tiger King episodes. Yes, so I, guess I could, I could go on go. To, to Schitt's Creek. There you go. But anyways, enough on us. You'd stay busy for a long time. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Enough on our uh, binging on uh, streaming services, Laura. Right. Why don't you just give a quick intro of yourself, and we'll kind of go from there. Uh, Well, um, like you said, I'm Laura Phelps, and um, I did compete in powerlifting for 10 years, from (laughs) 2005 to 2015, and actually my very first meet ever in 2005 was a meet that you, Eric, put on. I um, remember it. Has, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I'll never forget the APF Summer Bash. And I can't even remember, like, how we picked that one. Because I wasn't, like, I was, like, completely brand new to powerlifting. And, you know, it wasn't, like, um, social media wasn't a big thing. So we couldn't, you know, really, like, look up a bunch of meets, you know. So mm-hmm. I remember we looked, we mm-hmm. found it in the back of the Powerlifting USA, Um and, uh, you know, you, you would just look back there to see what meets were available. And it was like, okay, um, I just got this new gear. What, what meet am I going to do? And it was, um, it was perfect timing. And it was like, I love Chicago. So we go to Chicago, do this meet. And, um, it was awesome. So, um, that was when I started was the summer of 2005. And, um, my last meet was in, um, the, at the end of 2014. And, uh, I wasn't, 
really, it wasn't like I was like a retire a retirement meet or anything. I mm-hmm. just um, we you know, took a break, which turned into a little bit longer, turned into longer. And next thing you know, I was like, just I guess I'm not doing this anymore <laughs> um, because I just you know when you compete in powerlifting, you know even though it's not a sport that requires you know all day of training or anything like that, but it does require you know just so much of your time and focus mm-hmm. and and stuff and other things suffer and so it's kind of like oh, I just need to focus more on like working and um sure. for me is you know coaching Ad- adulting other all that crap so yeah you know it's like dang it i gotta do that so um you know at the time my group of girls particularly at the gym were growing and um i just found myself more into coaching than i was like as far as like mentally preparing for a competition so um it just became more rewarding i guess um to like help other people and you know than it was for me anymore you know i i felt pretty um pretty satisfied i guess with my accomplishments and mm-hmm. um so ever since then so since the end of 2014 i've just been working coaching um kind of growing like my own little of business i guess of um online coaching and mm-hmm. personal training and things like that so that's kind of more so what i do now yeah i actually remember talking to i'm not sure if it was your coach or training partner somebody called on your behalf to ask me about the summer bash um and oh, said hey I got, hey i got this new lifter you know she just switched over from i think it was physique or figure i can't remember Maybe it wasn't physique. Yeah, it was back bodybuilding because physique wasn't around at the time. Okay, yeah, it must have been. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> must have been that. And he said, "Yeah, I, I think she's going to be really good." And I said, "Oh yeah, sounds great." And um, we had hashtag profit. Yeah, we had uh, a lot of big <laughs> iron lifters there. We had Bega Swanson that lifted right. that summer bash. Um, Bill Carpenter was at that meet. The Lillibridges were at that meet. It was a very Dude, very what? man. What a roster! It was a long. Oh yeah, well, now looking day. back at it, it's like man, that was pretty epic for you know just a just a local national meet. type meet and yeah. that was the meet that becca uh benched her first 500 I so remember. that was Jeez. pretty amazing bench. to see like as my my first competition i'm there and i see this girl bench 500 and pull like six i don't know at least mid sixes maybe more mm-hmm. um and it was just like wow like it, i mean it was a pretty cool experience you know and get like kept me really like inspired and motivated to keep doing it Sure. I mean, at that time, I don't know that there was that many meets in the summer in the Midwest. That was mm-hmm. one of the reasons why right. I ran the Summer Bash. I kind of wanted to complement what Ernie was doing. He had always run the state meet in the spring and then, like, some kind of Midwest regional meet in the fall. And so when I started running meets, I said, well, I need to find a niche. And I ran the Summer Bash because there really wasn't anything else in the Midwest. And I, I know there wasn't really any other APF slash multiply meets at that time. So that's probably how that exactly. came together. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and I mean, APF was the federation, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, so it was like, okay, like this is a federation that everybody lives in. And, um, this is, yeah, Midwest, you know, it was close enough to where I live. And, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, it was perfect. And no, obviously a, a, a great beginning. You, you had some folks that brought some fanfare. Um, now let's be real here, Laura. You've you've accomplished. And you even said it, you were satisfied with your accomplishments. Your accomplishments in the sport are are no small thing. I just want to be very clear for those who maybe don't know who Laura Phelps is. Uh, can you maybe talk about some of your your best and some of your favorite lists that you've done? 
Um, so, like, my highest squat was uh, one, or 775 at 165. Um, I'm going to go throw then up now. The bench, <laughs> <laughs> the bench, I think, like, is probably my favorite, I think, even mm-hmm. though squatting at first was my favorite. Um, but it, I bench became my favorite because it was like the most challenging for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it, you know, once I got the hang of it and, you know, learned a lot and, um, you know, then I broke the world record in four weight classes. So 148, 165, 181 and 198. So wow. the highest though was 540, which was both at, at the same thing at 181 and 198. Wow. Um, yeah. And then down to the 148 class. So that was probably like my, you know, being the only female to break and hold simultaneously for all-time world records and four-way classes. That's one of my favorite, probably mm-hmm. next to being the first female to total 11-time body weight. That was, you know, because when I was, you know, coming up and it was like, well, everything that was a first, Becca did. You know, right. it was like first to squat 700, first mm-hmm. to bench 500, all these things that I was like, damn, like, what? You know, she's done everything first, you know, like, what, what's something that I could do first that was ended up being the um the eleven time body weight total. So um so yeah that and then the bench press. Um mom, my dogs are oh, no. sorry. <laughs> um best deadlift Laura? So the, my deadlift uh, the highest was five sixty at one sixty five. Okay. Um you know, I could say like maybe that would be the only thing I'm not satisfied with because it's number two. It's not I never did break the world record, even though I tried on numerous occasions. It was it was just really crazy. Like, it, you know, all my attempts would be easy, and then I would go for that 580. I don't know if it was a mental barrier or what, mm-hmm. um, but it just never did happen. But, you know, being number two was, you know, that's fine by me. That's totally fine. So, um, and then again, the total, that my top total was 1,800 at 165. I weighed in 163.4. I think wow. it was. Just, wow. I'm the only non-700 pound squatter on this podcast right now. I'm <laughs> going to go. Well, and what a time in go female powerlifting. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't a time when you had a ton of female powerlifters, but you've got you right. know, yourself and Becca Swanson. And yeah. there was a couple others from Big Iron that were really, you know, hitting hard at those times. Um, and then a couple others at Westside. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Amy, yeah. who was the first. Right female to qualify for the WPO when there was no female division. Right. Just straight qualified. For yeah. Her. Right. Right. Exactly. That was, that was like for a while, that was it. Like, um, you know, most meets, if I, you know, I would be like the only female competing, maybe, maybe one or two others. Um, but it wasn't until, you know, much later that, that the sport started to grow for females, you know, tremendously. But in the beginning, like for most of the time, it was just me against me, you know, that. Mm-hmm. You know, which can be hard, you know, because, you know, a lot of people, like, thrive on competition, but I'm totally competitive with myself alone, so that was enough for me. Sure. Yeah, I think a meet, I wasn't, I'm not sure if it was in Ohio or Michigan, probably Ohio, since you're from Ohio, but um, you and Jackie, my wife Jackie, Mm -hmm. were the only two females in the meet. Yeah, I think it was in Michigan, I think in Grand Haven. Oh, right, at that, like, middle school. Like, it was in, like, oh, a... Wow. Yeah, it was in, like, a gymnasium. <laughs> I think it was, like, like a middle school, like, lunchroom, actually. <laughs> yeah, it was really random. Were there Sloppy Joes afterwards? That, that would have been, been that nice. That one to kind of, like, test out for... Because I was going to do the WPO semifinals the next month, and mm-hmm. it was, like, I'm going to do this as, like, 
you know, like a tester because uh, I had only done your meet, you know, uh, right. in June. So, the, you know, that meet was in August. It was like, well, I had written um, Karen Kidder and basically was like, you know, I had heard, well, I heard Kara Mahegan. I didn't know who Kara was, but I heard that she got hurt and wasn't going to be able to um, compete. Well, not really compete. The women were guest lifters. Um so there were, you know, and that was like, I knew enough to know just because I was training with these guys that were, you know, world champion, you know, former world champion powerlifters. So I knew enough to know that the WTO was like the, the pinnacle, you mm-hmm. know, that's where you're trying to get to. And so I was like, well, I mean, I just had this like crazy confidence, like in my squad, especially because, you know, at that time I really didn't know about Westside yet. So it was just every Saturday was just, you work up heavy. Like every, we would just go in and um, get to get our suits on and just lift heavy. It was, there was no Sounds um, very early. real method to the madness. It was just like for, you know, literally just maxing out every Saturday Jeez. and, um, the way things were going, it was like, well, okay, I did five fifty and at the June meet at your meet. And, um, uh, the world record at the time was six eleven. Mm-hmm. So I mean, the way things were going in training, I was like, I know I can break that record. So, um, I wrote Karen Kidder and was just like, you know, literally was like, I, you, you don't know who I am, but like, I, I really confident that I will break the all time squat record. And I mean, fortunately, I mean, I don't even know how he just decided to like take a chance and told me that I could compete. So, so yeah, that's why we went up to Grand Haven. Cause I was like, let's make sure that it's not a fluke and it's not just training squats going well. And so we did that one. And, um, as like kind of like a warm up. To, to think, I mean, now thinking back, it's crazy to think that I did a meet in June and August and then September, you know? Yes, that's wild. <laughs> yeah, I remember being particularly impressed with your squat, knowing it was your first meet um, at, the, right. at, the, at the Summer Bash. Um, yeah, yeah, you definitely, I think, yeah, you, I, think I did 551. I think you had, even at that time, very good form and looked like you just had the, the right build for squatting, quite honestly. Right, right. Yeah, it was... Um, you know, I was just lucky to kind of fall into this situation. It, you know, I worked at at a fitness center in at General Motors in Toledo, and um, okay, so it was with you know these these guys would come in and work out, and mm-hmm. um, this guy you know told me that his um, nephew owned a gym up in Detroit, south of Detroit, because um, I was living in Toledo at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, he said, you know, you can. The, you know, I think they power lift if you ever, you know, if you want to go there. Cause I, we were literally like, uh, you know, power lifting at a, a um, powerhouse gym, you know, with a bunch okay. of bodybuilders, you sure, know, trying sure. to figure it out. And so I was like, Oh, that'd be cool. Like, you know, go see, um, what that's about. So I called the guy and he said, okay, uh, I'll have Paul come in and, you know, cause I told him I wanted to come up and like test out a squat there, you know, and see if anybody could like help me or whatever. And so he, he asked, Paul Urchik to come in and, oh, um, wow. and help me. And so, yeah, so Paul came, came in and met me there and helped me squat me, wrap my knees. Um, and Paul was like, I mean, he was like, uh, at that time, I didn't have freaks or anything yet. So I was just squatting raw. And, um, and he was like, you got to come next Saturday. Like, you know, so right from then on, you know, I started going up there and training with those guys like Paul and Fabian <laughs> and um, Charlie Maxwell and, and that whole group there. So it was like, they were all like done, you know, they they were not done competing. They still competed for fun, you know, mm-hmm. um, but they, you know, were past their days of like, you know, being world champions and, you know, stuff sure. like that. But, um, but so that was amazing just to have that opportunity to like at the very beginning of 
my powerlifting career to be able to um, have that crew to, to train with, you know, because they really, like, having, like, fresh blood in there, like, it just excited them to, like, you know, like, just, like, kind of how I thought at the end of my career, like, you know, how, you know, getting more enjoyment out of, like, seeing, you know, helping the people around me succeed than it was for me anymore. Sure. You know, so that, I think that's how they felt. So they were, like, real, very excited about it, you know, so it was, it was very cool. And there, as you said, there wasn't many females at that mm-hmm. time. So, like, I yeah. always made the contention back then that usually there would be, like, one female on each team. <laughs> and they would almost always right. have, like, the best technique because they had so many dudes, you know, yeah, they, hewing them on technique. And they and, listened. And, yeah, and they yeah. usually were good listeners. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's the other element, I suppose. Yeah, They didn't come in with as much of an ego right. as a dude would, I don't think. Right. Right, right. So, uh, I mentioned it, but... Before powerlifting, it sounds like you did a little bit of like bodybuilding. Any other kind of sports background, and what 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 experience was that like being involved in that sport as opposed to powerlifting? Oh, um, well, I mean, I grew up being like really athletic. I did gymnastics for fourteen years growing up, and um, you know, ran track and played soccer. But gymnastics was my main sport, so you know, I think that really helped. What you know, what, what was your favorite event in, in gymnastics? I'm curious. Uh, floor exercise for yes. sure. I loved, loved like the tumbling and, mm-hmm. and things like that. I really didn't did not care for the bars and the Um So you know, makes more sense. You know, sense. That, you know, obviously, I like the more explosive. You know, events. Mm-hmm. You know, now looking back at it, you know, seeing why I would have liked that. Um, but you know, growing up doing that, I mean, you know, there's I'm sure a lot of scientific studies behind it. But just the you know, gymnasts have you know thicker tendon strings and, mm-hmm. you know, just flexibility and body awareness, you know, so that yep. really paid off in helping me later with, you know, both bodybuilding and powerlifting because, you know, um, after college I got into bodybuilding. Um, I did a few competitions. Like, again, I just really didn't know mm-hmm. anything about, like, the weightlifting world in general, like whether it's bodybuilding or powerlifting, I just had you know, no clue. Um, so to me, like, if... I lift weights, like, the only sport for that was bodybuilding, you know, you right. lift weights and sure. then you compete in it, you know, and, um, so I, uh, did, like, a couple, like, local, more, like, local smaller shows, mm-hmm. and then, um, qualified to do a bigger show, which was in Fairfax, Virginia, it was called the GNC Body Rock. Really? And, um, what, what year was that? 2004. Because that's where I grew up, actually. <laughs> that's why it's interesting. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. yeah 2004 in Fairfax, Virginia. They had, it was it's a, it was an incredible show. I mean, it looked like like a mini Olympia, you know. I mean, Ronnie Coleman was the um, guest poser, and um, it was like a legit big show. It was crazy. And, and what's really ironic is that um, I won my weight class. I was like a lightweight. Mm-hmm. And then, then you have like your pose down for the overall or whatever. And the girl that won the heavyweights with Stella Kropinski, who also, wow. after that wow. competition, also moved into powerlifting and still powerless, you know, so sure. she um, she had won the heavyweight in that competition, so it's kind of funny to see, like, Small we both, world. After, yeah. that, after that show, decided to move on to powerlifting, um, but yeah, that was the last one, 2004, mm. it was like in the summer of 2004, and I really didn't, like, just make this definitive decision to just, like, stop bodybuilding and our powerlifting it just happened to be that like after the show you ask the judges what you need to work on and um 
I asked them, and they were like, you know, just told me that I needed thickness. I was small. I weighed in at 121 at that yeah. show. I've seen wow. pictures. You were very and skinny. Wow. <laughs> very, very, yeah, small. Um, and uh, they just, you know, I just needed more thickness in my back and, mm-hmm. you know, shoulders and things like that. So um, we're like, well, we'll do. I, I, when I trained, I didn't do any, like, other than benching, I didn't do any, like, compound lifts. I didn't do any squats or, mm. um, I, you know, deadlifts or anything. So I started adding those in, started mostly deadlifting more often and um and uh there was a guy at the gym so I was training at powerhouse gym in Toledo there was a guy at the gym who um kept telling me about these like like local non-sanctioned push-pull meets that they would do like um in Toledo like at the mall or at a hotel or something like that mm-hmm. and it was just for fun and um like you should do it and I'm like I mean I was just like I don't do that you know and um, so I remember doing one of those. It was in like a, um, literally like a, like a department store that was closed down. It was empty, <laughs> and um, <laughs> and it was just push pull. It was just bench deadlift, and uh, it was really fun. Um, mm-hmm. But like I still was like oh, I don't know, you know, I you know I didn't really know much. But then, but through those little non-sanctioned events, I met these other two guys who became my training partner. Like the the these guys and me all we we the three of us all ended up going to Detroit to train there. Like, you know, we were like a package deal. Sure. Um, but these other guys, they were, they were, they're in the same position. They were working out at powerhouse and, um, you know, trying to power lift and, you know, you just really couldn't do that at a powerhouse, you know, when you're trying to be an equipped lifter, because equipped lifting obviously back then was it like, I mean, sure. everybody was in equipped, you know, so, that was it. Um, yeah. you know, being able to, yeah. Oh Yeah. So being able Wait, to raw, find raw was not the law. What? No, no that, that was gosh, what we did no. in the off season like, slash uh, to warm up. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I mean, to think that like you know, um, you know, see a lot of people now who lift raw and then get into gear much later. It was like I, literally the second I decided to start powerlifting, like compete in powerlifting, I um, bought a pair of briefs. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like okay, what do I do first? I bought a pair of briefs, and then. Um, I, uh, when I, one of the first weekend that I went up there to, to train with those guys in Detroit, oh, I did buy, um, I did order a Inzer Rajex, you know, because that was the shirt at the time. Um, so I ordered a Rajex, and when I didn't have a suit yet, I didn't really know what to do about getting a suit. Mm-hmm. I, um, I, what did I do? I, oh, yeah, I went the first Saturday and I went up there to train with those guys, Paul Urchek. He went out to his car and he brought me, like, I think he, I'm pretty sure he was sponsored by Inzer because he brought me this like brand new Leviathan and, you know, he has like a pattern number, like, which ended up being my pattern number later mm-hmm. on because it fit me so perfectly. I put it on and it was like, fit like a glove. Like, wow. I say that, but my legs swelled up so much when I was squatting that day that it took multiple people a long time to get it off. But to <laughs> me, that was perfect, you know? Right. <laughs> That's how it was my whole career. It was like, how many people, how many big guys would it take to get that suit off of me? You know, so it was like, you know, just everything about it was just like the stars aligned, you know, him giving me that perfectly fit suit. Mm -hmm. You know, this gym, you know, it it was only a 35-minute drive, but it was, they had monoliths, they had competition benches and platforms and reverse hyper, you know, it was, you know, back then that was unheard of. Like, monolith, you might have like one monolith in the whole state, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, they had everything. It was, it was perfect. That's awesome. That's that sounds like a, a definitely a great way to jump in and dive in headfirst in the sport, which which you did. Uh, 
you've, right? you've alluded to it a little bit, Laura, about the the team that kind of started to blossom around you, especially towards the the end of your competition career. Can you can you talk about that team and kind of how it's how it's grown? Some of the, I mean, I, I've met you know quite a few of your lifters. I've you know spotted them at the WPO. Can you talk about some of the the people on your team? Uh, yeah. So around the time that I was like kind of wrapping up my powerlifting career, you know, because uh, for a long time it was literally in the gym. It was still just like me mm-hmm. as far as females. You know, we would start getting some guys and stuff, but then we started having like females. Especially, I think it really had a lot to do with the women's pro am. Mm-hmm. Um, and like when that as that started growing, we started having you know I would meet people at the meet and it would take is there any way I can come out and like um, check out the gym like, and have you help me with mm-hmm. like my squad or whatever? And it was like, of course, you know, so we'd have people that would come visit and then we had started having people who would literally uproot their lives and move out to the gym wow. and um, just to train at the gym and, you know, basically would just find a job that would revolve around them being able to be in Cincinnati and train. So it was pretty crazy because like, you know, people were moving, you know, to Cincinnati and, um, you know, I, I had this like, original like group of girls you know it was like you know me and katie brent and amber tarpley and mm-hmm. um candace uh candace popolo and you know so it was like uh and patty lee you know she was doing um jujitsu and then she you know just kind of would dabble a little bit with us and in, in the powerlifting stuff next thing you know she was um you know full-time powerlifting sure. you know so that was like kind of like our original group and then um over time like you know Candace was the lead singer of a band, and she, you know, moved back to to Boston. And um, Amber moved to Iowa. I never can remember like where she was, but I think it's in Iowa. Um, Ew. But yeah, she ended up moving there, and now is in a great relationship and has a baby. And um, you know, it's just like the cycle of life. You know, people come and they go. And um, and I remember that you know Mm. that being my original group of girls, and it was just like it was awesome. And um, you know we just all helped each other, push each other. And, um, you know, Katie came as a raw lifter, you mm-hmm. know, and got her transitioned into gear, you know, Patty, obviously being Patty did um, a couple of raw meets before she got into gear, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, just really helping people get in, you know, more into, um, competing in equipment, you know, and then over time, more people came, Heidi came, Heidi Hauer, mm-hmm. um, and that was, you know, she, that was probably one of the most satisfying, or not satisfying, but like, that just, that's when I really knew that that's, you know, I was more into like helping coach other people than I was like being motivated to compete myself anymore, because sure. it was like, when she beat my pound for pound total, the 11 time body weight, till she was the first one to beat it. Wow. Um, she did like eleven. It was at and it was at the pro am um, a few years ago. Mm-hmm. She got um, she beat that total. She's the first one to do it, and it was just. I mean, it was awesome. You know, like there was, you know, if if anybody was going to beat it, it, how cool was it to coach the person to do it? You sure, know? yeah, so, definitely. I mean, what a, um, what a great you know lineage there. It's awesome. So, right, so maybe right. let's, let's back up a little bit, Laura. Um, so you trained with the crew in Detroit. Mm-hmm. At what point then did you? you know, transition to training in a conjugate manner. And I don't know if you ever were in Columbus and trained at Westside full-time or if you just, you know, took trips out there. You know, how did your relationship with Westside, you know, progress and through the years? Um, so I really, I actually started kind of commuting and training at Westside pretty shortly after. Like, so I started, you know, competing in the summer of 2005, but by early 2006, I was, six, I was going there 
on the weekends to train. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I did that for many years until we had, uh, probably until like, you know, 2009 or 2010 when we had the gym open in Cincinnati and, I, you know, I just really couldn't get away mm-hmm. that much anymore. And then it became more like, you know, just whenever I could get up there, you know, like on any random weekend mm-hmm. to go up and train or, or a weekday or whatever. Um, it wasn't as um, like kind of scheduled, but I would um, go up there on the weekends to to train. So, I mean, it really it was early, early on that I, you know, started training with the conjugate method. And that's just, it's, essentially all I've ever known aside for like I said when I first started when we were just would max out you know um without a plan but then um <laughs> I once I started training train, training and traveling there then I started realizing that there was you know a better way to mm-hmm. I mean I couldn't just max out every weekend you know I would end up hurt and um you know and obviously the conjugate methods you know more so about like longevity so um that was another reason why it was just like I feel you know, kind of blessed that that's kind of what I fell into in the beginning um, in, and found a better way, like, you know, pretty quickly. Sure. Was there an invite? And it's still did, how I train, even though I don't compete. I still, you know, train with the group and still do dynamic effort, max effort. Ton, I love doing accessory work, done tons of accessory work. And, and so that's how I train still, and that's still how I, you know, teach other people. Mm-hmm. So was there an invite from Louis? Hey, come out here and train on the weekends. Uh, how did that? Yeah, how did that he did. Because it's not uh, a gym you can just generally go into. Right, right. He um, he had told Jason Fry, who was like a big bencher at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, he li- Jason Fry lived kind of a little, you know, kind of up in the Northwest Ohio area, and so um, I knew Jason just from around up there. And he um, he trained at Westside on the weekends, and and Lily told Jason, you know, he's like, bring her down. Um, one of these weekends and um so i went with him on a sunday to train train the bench with him and george halbert and then that sunday morning bench crew mm-hmm. and after i remember after the um training session louis you know just like awkwardly asked me if i wanted to you know basically i can't remember the words he used but it was like you know do you want to be a west side lifter essentially you know and it was just like you know, of course, you know, and, mm-hmm. but I, I also was like really nervous to say yes because I had so much loyalty to my crew in Detroit. You know, I was like, is that going to be, you know, am I disloyal if I train here a little bit? And, you know, after talking to those guys, they were literally like, uh, you are going it's crazy <laughs> if you don't. Like, you know, it was like kind of like, you know, they were helping me leave the nest, I guess, so to say. Right. But you did not, like some, you know, uptake your life and move to Columbus to train there mm-hmm. full-time. You were just a weekender, essentially. Right. Yeah. I kind of said from the beginning, I, I mean, I I can't really just, like, live here in Columbus and find, like, a random job. Like, at that time, you know, just with work and things like that, it was like I, you know, I was still working at General Motors in Toledo, and I mm-hmm. liked my job and um, still knew that we wanted to open a gym you know, probably in Cincinnati, because um, that's where I'm from. So okay. uh, I just knew that, like, living in Columbus for the sole purpose of training was just not going to be good for my for my future, <laughs> you sure. know? Sure, So you're looking kind of yeah. past, the, past the barbell at that point? Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. So... So that kind of leads into that, and you talk about, you know, open up a gym and do it in Cincinnati. So, you know, how did, 
how did that happen? And then how do you get involved with also running a, a CrossFit facility? Um, so, yeah, like in 2007, moved down, back down to Cincinnati. And um, at that time, was just working as a personal trainer. And, mm-hmm. um, and then we found a space like in 2008 um, that was, you know, just, dirty warehouse space of course mm-hmm. um and it was like well this will be you know you just kind of picture it differently and you know what you can do to it so we spent a lot of time cleaning it up and um painting and doing things like that and mm-hmm. got it ready and then opened it up and but it was mostly like in the beginning 2009 when we opened it was like it was just uh personal training it was you know my clients and stuff as far as powerlifting goes like it would be you know, if I wasn't like going down to train at Westside, if I was actually training at the gym, like it was me mm-hmm. alone or right. um, me and another guy, Tommy, he would drive down from Middletown and, and train with me. Um, but it was just the two of us, you know, and then wow. over time, over the, you know, over a few years, you know, started getting a, a couple people here and there. And then the next thing you know, I remember, I will never forget, like, I don't even remember what year it was, but, um, you know, Saturdays, you know, now, I mean, I, for the most part, I always follow, like, the, the West Side schedule, you know, mm-hmm. Monday, max up at low or whatever. But at that time, we were squatting on Saturdays. I think that just worked with, like, the people that I could actually get that common list and help. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, and, like, I, we had, like, 20 people or something, like, trying to all squat at once, but together. Oh, I, I just remember that day being like, okay, I guess we were just big enough now that we had to split into groups and figure out a different plan. So um, it was just one of those things that you just didn't even realize, like, the growth until it just was like, wow, you know, and I think that was probably, I mean, it had to have been probably like 2010 or 11, you mm-hmm. know, something like that. Um, it just took a couple of years to grow a little bit, but, um, was that across the street from your yeah. current location or was that a different spot completely? That No, I mean, where we're at right now with the, with the sweatshop is where we've always been. Okay. Um, but then in 2009, also in 2009, we opened sweatshop, but also in 2009, CrossFit brought Louie on to teach the CrossFit powerlifting course. Like, mm-hmm. CrossFit has all those specialty courses. Sure. And so, Louie was teaching, they asked him to teach a CrossFit powerlifting course, and he was, like, always reluctant. And, I mean, especially because he, you know, back then CrossFit, you know, had, you know, kind of, I don't know, just a, maybe a negative stigma around it. And so, he was mm-hmm. like, I don't know. Um, so, he asked, he had, like, a few people come up and help him like kind of not teach it because he spoke the whole time but like kind of help him when we broke into groups and sure. you know um, just kind of help us yeah help coach with with everybody and so we went up there and started doing that like once a month oh, wow. you know they would wow. all, all the courses would be at west side which is unheard of now because they all, you know they're all in different locations at different crossfit gyms mm-hmm. and that's essentially what happened a few years later was the crossfit wanted louie to start traveling to teach a course and he doesn't you know he does not like to travel especially he doesn't like to fly around mm-hmm. anywhere so um so we started traveling around to teach the course and so it was like month after month you know uh, you know probably about once a month going to different crossfit locations all over the country to teach the crossfit powerlifting course and it was two days um you know so it was just like after having like literally i don't even know how many i mean countless amount of courses you know, working with people, it was just, like, drilled into my brain, like, um, you know, so, I mean, I just feel confident with it, and 
you know, and I always tell people to this day, like, you know, whatever, you know, if we taught a course back in 2013, things have changed tremendously since then. I mean, sure. it changes all the time, you know, so, but that's what's cool about it is, you know, it just evolves constantly. Right, right. Yeah, I say CrossFit so is basically, a... And that's what I was going to say about that, too, was that that's how we got into opening um, the CrossFit gym, you know, because... Um, where the sweatshop is right now, like it's a, a building that's divided into two, mm-hmm. and the other the other tenant in 2013, well, the end of 2012, moved out, and it was like, well, this would be the perfect opportunity to, um, you know, put all that like practice into play. You know, everything right. we've talked about teaching these CrossFitters, like why the conjugate method is so effective for CrossFit. You know, it's like we can open this gym and like actually like show people like how how you can do it with regular classes mm-hmm. with elite level athletes. Um, you know, we had a, a girl Taylor Drescher who I mean we only had her for like four months because then she she was going into the Marine Corps, mm-hmm. um, but she was like the perfect person to help us start it. She was you know we, we spent months and months with her. Um, she was incredibly strong. She's a CrossFit athlete, but we worked with her on on the conjugate method. I mean, she still to this day is a you know, that's how she trains and how she, she coaches other people now too. So it's pretty right. cool that even she's still, still doing that even post like Marine Corps. Um, but she helped us kind of get it off the ground, you know, with, um, you know, getting it started and having it, you know, making sure that everything went smooth and how we would incorporate the conjugate method into everyday classes, which is, it's still to this day the same. Obviously the, we've changed like, different like variations of movements and things like that but yeah. our schedule still is the same where it's you know our you know everyday classes do max effort lower on monday dynamic effort upper on tuesday they do olympic lifting on wednesday thursday they do uh, dynamic effort lower and then friday they do max effort upper um and uh i mean they literally do deadlifts against chains or bands or reverse bands things like that and i you know we've just perfected the way of like of incorporating conjugate into a one-hour class with, you know, sometimes 20, 30 people wow. in the class. And, you know, it just takes, like, really good coaches and um, that can, you know, that are really committed and, and, like, driven and organized to be able to do, like, an effective short warm-up and then, like, set a timer for whatever the main thing is, you know, if it's right. max effort, whatever. You know, they have 20 minutes, let's say. We do one accessory movement, you know, that pertains to whatever day that we're doing. And then, the, oh, you know, the WAD, the Metcon. Mm-hmm. And then there's a finisher. If there's, you know, if there's time to do it during class, that's great. If not, you know, they can stay after class and do like 100 band good mornings or something like that. Um, and, uh, you know, so then from there, it kind of evolved to like having where people were to like, I love the accessory movements. I want more of it. So mm-hmm. then it was like they could kind of add on to their membership where we would give them, like, extended, like, you know, what a normal day would look like, you know, more accessory work, and they can come over to the sweatshop and do their accessory work and have access to just more specialty equipment, like, you know, the inverse curl or, mm-hmm. you know, different reverse hypers, you know, things like that. So, and that's normal. These are people that, you know, maybe, like, compete every once in a while just for the fun or just don't compete at all, but they just literally want, more of it. They love it. Yeah, you know, we, we, you know, people, I think, yeah, con- if people are like hesitant, like to start that in their gym. Cause they're like, you know, I, you know, they think that people want nothing but like <clears throat> cardio, you know? Right. And, uh, I'm sorry. I don't speak Spanish. What we found is <laughs> people like love, you know, people, 
you know, um, everybody, they love it. They love tracking their deadlift PRs and things like that. Sure. You know, they, it's pretty cool to see people like favor strengths, you know, more so than like just doing, you know, puking outside from like an hour long wad, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think (laughs) through the years, CrossFit has gotten a bad name in the, at least the strength coaching community. Oh yeah. Um, and, and to me, the way it sounds like you set things up was what makes sense. And I don't think that's, at least from what I've seen, always what some CrossFit gyms do, but it, it seems like oh, it makes... Oh, no. I mean, to this day, there's some that do that, that still, you know, so, if they do any strength work, it might be something really quick, but the focus is on, the like, wa- the conditioning. Right, the, yeah, yeah. the Metcon. Yeah, I mean, that's... I, I, I have, you know, some things in CrossFit I don't agree with 100%, but it makes sense to have a setup where, yeah, you do some kind of warm-up, you have a main strength lift for the day, <laughs> like you said, maybe one or two quote what we would call assistance exercises and then go into your your metabolic circuit from there that makes a lot of sense and i think yeah. if more crossfit gyms structure it that way you'd probably have you know less injuries and better results oh for sure but it, what, do, what do you guys like, know you're just coaches it, like yeah. i said it takes coaches <laughs> that know how to like rein a class in because that's a lot i mean that's a lot to fit into an hour and if you do sure. not have those people like kind of in line and like you know, ready to go, and you, I mean, you have to be like on it. You can, I mean, to be able to to get all that done oh, yeah. effectively. Yeah. So uh, let me ask you this then. That uh, brings up another question. Just as a, someone who's worked as a trainer and done small groups, um, when you get a new person that comes into your CrossFit facility, do you just throw them to the wolves, or do you say, "Hey, you need to do an introductory course or introductory seminar or"? one-on-one sessions with Laura before we, you know, throw you into doing max effort deadlifts against Shane's? We have a coach who solely works with, like, the on-ramp people, like the people that are new. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you'll have occasionally, like, your rare person that, like, has an extensive background who kind of can kind of, like, bypass that. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, everybody goes through, especially, I mean, that would be a person that um, is familiar with conjugate as well. You know, even if someone has an extensive CrossFit background, they, you know, they still would go through like those first, on, you know, onboarding courses because, um, and it's just a few classes just to get people familiar with technique on like box squatting or, mm-hmm. you know, all the movements of CrossFit. Like, you know, some, some people, if they're literally brand new to exercise alone, they might have more um, classes that they'll take, you know, and they're usually totally fine with that. They don't want to be thrown into the class. Um, but that is a lot of proper snatch technique, you know, I mean, but to be fair, Laura, I think there are not all, but I think there are a lot of CrossFit gyms that that is the way they do it. They have their class times. If somebody's new, um, they're kind of just thrown in there. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's unfortunate if that's the case, you know? Mm Um, I mean, we have, yeah, that just, you know, it's ideal just to at least give people, you know, a certain amount of time to get from the, and what, and what uh, people don't realize is that, like, you can still have them do these, like, introductory courses and still give them the Metcon, because that's essentially what they want. They want to, like, go in and they want to do box jumps and they want to get sweaty and get yeah, their heart rate up and burn calories, yeah, and, you know, sure. you can still do that. Like, you know, you can still have a class, essentially, with them where it's, like, you're, they're learning the basics. Sure. And then um, give them, like, something to get them a little sweaty, you know? It's that perceived exertion that clients want. They want to, yeah, have their muscles burning, their heart beating, and their lungs burning. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, that's just me running the buffet, so I don't don't even need the CrossFit for that. (laughs) 
So, you know, you've kind of talked about the setup you have with CrossFit, um, you know, and you can talk about both powerlifting and maybe even just your, your quote, general population clients. But generally, how do you set up your, your programming? You've talked about a little bit, but maybe talk about how what you do is maybe tweaked slightly different than the type of conjugate that is done at Westside. Um, so I'd say the main difference, cause I still, you know, like I said, I do the normal, um, kind of schedule of Monday, max lower Wednesday, max upper mm-hmm. dynamic upper lower on Friday, dynamic upper on Saturday. Sure. Um, but you know, and then we have a special exercise day, like just small exercises on Tuesdays and Thursdays. But, um, you know, with the growing, you know, popularity of raw lifting, like it just, the, it had to be tweaked a little bit, like, because, um, you know, and our gym was a perfect example. You know, at Westside, you know, everybody lifts in equipment. You know, right. so this that's what your you do. testing sample there is, is everybody in gear. But our gym was like kind of like the mini Westside where, you know, we were Westside certified gym. And, you know, we've got like, you know, 50% of the people lifting equipped and now 50% of people lifting raw. So, mm-hmm. you know, we have one program at the gym. Everybody lifts together. And, um, you know, what we're finding is that, you know, you know, doing the traditional way of where it's box squatting all the time and stuff, you know, really benefits the equipped lifter. But um, the raw lifter, you know, yes, they would get strong, especially their deadlifts from box squatting. Sure. But their regular squat was just, you know, just awkward, like, because they're not used to it, you know. So, like, okay, how can we incorporate more free squatting into into this? And so, you know, we've tried a bunch of different ways. And, you know, for me currently how I you know, program for people is like, for instance, on dynamic effort lower as a raw lifter, not every three week wave is on a box. Like, you know, every other three week wave is on a box, you know, because it is still really beneficial for the raw lifter to box squat, like mm-hmm. without a doubt, like, you know, make your hips strong, it'll help your deadlift lock out. Teach you how to sit um, back and use your hips. Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like, you don't want to take that out completely. So you know, every other three-week wave is on a box, and then, you know, alternating with a three-week wave that's just a regular free squat, normal stance, competition stance, but I still vary, like, the, you know, something, you know, accommodating resistance or the bar or something, you know, it might be, you know, safety squat bar with chains, but it's still going to be a free squat, you know, so still waving it three weeks, whatever, but it's just not on a box. Um, And then as far as max effort lower days go on Monday, um, you know, I I have been working more with like a literal rotation of like a, a good morning max effort, like three rep max of some kind with different bars, chains, bands on the front, whatever. Um, good mornings, and then a deadlift the next week variation, and then the following week is a squat variation. Um, now this is where it gets a little confusing because I usually like on on the dynamic effort. Uh, days on the third week of the wave, we usually work up heavy, like to like just like we're doing doubles or triples, or sometimes we'll do fives. Um, you know, that third week, we usually like work up to like a heavy three or five, whatever the rep scheme is. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily like all out max, but you're definitely getting some heavy work in on those days. There's some strain um, in there, yeah. So it's like then it would be followed up by you know, if that if that's just week three of the wave, then on Monday. It would be the good morning because that's kind of like it's obviously good mornings are difficult, but it's you know um, a little bit like a break, you know, kind of from like the 
the heavier, like the deadlift variations, squat variations and whatnot. Sure. Um, so you just kind of like time it that way where like that Monday is after the heavy box squat is always going to be a good morning. Um, and then so that since we get some heavy box squat work in on those days and on usually on whatever squat variations on Monday when it, every third week when we do a squat variation, it's always a free squat, whether you're raw or equipped. It's a free squat variation, um, you know, and we leave the box squatting for Fridays, you know, so. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so, and so everybody listening, hope you're taking notes. There will be a test afterwards. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'll usually have people, like the raw lifters, do some drop, you know, drop sets after their max effort days as well, after their max effort movements, like deadlift, squat, bench, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, do a little, a little bit of, like, down set volume as well, so. Yeah. Those are just a few things that might be a little different, you know. You know, but like I said, with a with a conjugate system, it's you know, it's it's always evolving, and you just kind of like have to learn your audience, you know, basically and what they need. Sure. Yeah, I mean, equipped lifters. On the other hand, while the raw lifters are doing down sets, we're just trying to get out of our gear. Yeah. The three or four people are yeah, getting exactly. us out of our suits. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so and I, like really, I really try to like preach to people about like volume and you know because i think what happens is you know people will try to say they try the conjugate system and then they're like oh it didn't work for me and you can usually just you know by having a conversation with them figure out all the things that they did wrong with it right you know and that's you know that that could be anything from going way too heavy on dynamic effort day like not sticking to like real percentages um Mm -hmm. then on max effort day doing way too many sets you know like you know, a few people do, like, all these small little jumps, and then, like, once they get, like, above 90%, they do, like, I mean, like, five or six attempts, you know? Um, so it's just little things like that that add up that it cause you to end up, like, overtraining, and then, um, you know, which I don't believe in overtraining, but you can, you know, mess well, yourself up that way doing that, you know, exactly, and, and then start going backwards with the list, so... Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I love all this, uh, you know, kind yeah. of geeked out stuff. You know, I've been doing this for 20 years. I haven't traditionally followed a conjugate method. I've used some of the principles of it, mm-hmm. but it's always right. interesting to hear how people set it up. Um, I don't always, and you trained at Westside, so you would obviously know, but I read the Westside stuff. It doesn't seem like they always have three-week waves. It sounds like yours is maybe a little bit more structured in that way. I mean, it seems like sometimes yeah. the Westside at Westside mm-hmm. is – more just <laughs> unless it's circumax, it's just kind of whatever is on Louis's mind. Yeah, what, I, not to say that's yeah, wrong, and but it really, it's not always what Louis tells them to do. It's what the guys just walk in and want to do. Because Louis, I tell you, he's like, I'm not a a trainer. I don't tell people what to do. You know, okay. like he coaches people to be their own coach. You know, okay. which is awesome. Like, you know, he doesn't have people come there so that he can like tell you every move to make. He tries to get you to you know think for yourself in a way. You know. Hmm. Um, so sometimes if you see, you might see stuff where you're like, wait, why are they maxing out full gear on a Friday? You know, what the hell? You know, and it's usually just, yeah, sometimes it's just, it, to me, I mean, me too, like, I'm in the same boat with most people where I'm like, wait, what are they doing? You know? Like, <laughs> um, so, but for me, my brain works best if I, if everything is like pretty well structured, you know? That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, so would you say yeah. <laughs> when you're at Westside itself, is there just a leader of each individual kind of group? And then whatever yeah. that, whatever that yeah, leader says, say that's, you know, Chuck right, or yeah, whatever, whatever Chuck says goes. Like, right. I mean, I would, I yeah, would do whatever Chuck Vogelpohl said to, to do too. Exactly. Yeah. He, yeah. He's, um, you know, Louis obviously always there. So, I mean, he, you know, he's ultimately the leader, but like, you know, there's always someone in a group that really kind of says, 
this is what we're doing, you know, or they decide together. But, you know, so there's always just like a natural leader. Mm-hmm. Um, but now with Chess being back in the gym and like taking on more of a coaching role, um, I would say he definitely is, um, you know, probably much more of like a, I wouldn't say trainer, but, you know, some, a leader who's like telling people what, to, you know, what movements to do. But also still like teaching you how to think for yourself, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and that brings up another interesting point, Laura. I mean, one of the key principles of Westside and a lot of training programs is that you want to attack your weaknesses, correct? Oh, for sure. So yeah. how does that work when you have a group that everybody's doing more or less the same max effort, dynamic effort stuff? Would you say that you're attacking the weaknesses more in those assistance exercises? Are there slight yeah. tweaks that you do in the max effort, dynamic effort work? So, yeah, like with the with the conjugate system, if you're doing it right, like I said, with the volume, eighty um, percent of your workouts should be accessory work. So, you know, usually your group will all work together doing the main movement, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, whether it's max effort or dynamic effort. But then once it comes to the accessory work, you know, if you have like if your spinal rectors are weakness, you know, like you might go and do something different, like as your first main accessory, like seated good mornings or something like that. Right. Um, but like. As far as, like, the main movements go, usually it sounds weird, but, like, you know, like, usually you should follow, like, the strongest person. Like, it, usually everybody does what the strongest person is going to do. And sure. um, and that's, you know, so you see that with, like, Dave Hoff. Like, if he, whatever he was doing is what everybody's doing, but everybody benefited from it, you know? Right, right. And, like, for a long time, like, you know, when I was competing oh. at the gym, it was, like, everybody's, you know, everybody that wants to train with me can just do what I'm doing, you know? like Sure not to be rude or anything, you know, but they wanted to, they wanted to do what I was doing and everybody got stronger. You know what I mean? So can't, can't argue with that. like, Oh, you go do this because this would be better for you. You know, it was like, no, we're doing what I'm doing, but you know, atmosphere is everything, you know? So mm-hmm. it was just like, everybody got stronger, but everybody, you know, could obviously do different accessory movements to help build those weaknesses. Right. Right. Makes sense. So, you know, one of the other ways that you and I have connected, Laura, is with some of these home workouts that um, you used to almost kill me inadvertently. Um, so, <laughs> obviously, just with the current situation with, you know, with the Rona flying around, uh, how have you come up with some of the training for the home workouts that you've been posting? And, and just maybe talk a little bit more about that that remote programming you've been, been putting together. Um, that, to, like, to me was, like, in a way, it was, like, easy. Because I love accessory work. I love, like, you know, it, like over the years of Instagram, like I've posted a lot of different accessory movements because I love accessory movements. And um, so to me, it was like, okay, like week one, it was like, crap, like, you know, I'm like doing the normal programming in my spreadsheet and it's like, okay, do this, you know, because I have to realize some people do have gym Mm -hmm. access, you know, like, you know, stuff at home or whatever. So it would be like, okay, do this or here's a substitute, you know, so it just became like a fun game almost, you know, easily thinking of something that you could substitute, like, you know, with just a PVC pipe and a band, right. you know, um, being able to literally still do that same movement, but just like, okay, like the hardest part about it was just literally thinking, where am I going to put my feet on top of this band or whatever, you right, know? Right, right. Um, mm-hmm. But it like just kind of became fun. I would like think of something in my head, like when I was programming for someone else, and um, I would write it down in my notes, like, you know, oh yeah, like I forgot about this one. This can easily be done with a PVC pipe. And I just like had this like long list of stuff. So we were able to break it into like four weeks of of workouts. And, you know, now that, now that you know, I only intended on doing those four weeks because I was like, oh, we're all going to be going back to the gym. 
and Wrong. they're not. So <laughs> I know. So I still have like um, a list of stuff. So I'm going to, you know, probably at least do another week. You know, there's only so many things I can think of, you know. Right. So I think I think I have another like week of upper and lower body exercises. And then beyond that, people can just repeat it or whatever, you sure. know. Um, but, you know, that's kind of it was just kind of became fun to try to figure out like different ways to still do it. And it, I mean, if you do it and like, you know, even when I was like doing the videos and just doing a few reps of each exercise, I was like smoked. Yeah. You know, so it's like, you know, and so, I mean, I, I don't go to the gym. I, I'm um, doing all the home workouts and, and things like that. And, and like kind of enjoying the change, change of pace a little bit. I mean, obviously I wouldn't have been enjoying it if I was like a power lifter trying to compete and like, I'd be freaking right. out like about losing strength. Right, right. But for me right now, it's just been kind of a nice change of pace, you know, cause I, you know, I just work out to work out now, you know, and I do a lot of conditioning stuff now. So I'm just trying to enjoy the weather and work out outside. You bet. And enjoy some time with the doggos and, uh, and just try to, oh, yeah. try to make it through <laughs> all this. So, uh, right. awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And like, and I've said this a couple of times on the, on the podcast that I did the 400 meter banded walk, but I did it with double yeah. monster minis. Like I fucking idiot. <laughs> oh my God. The, the crawl back to my house was very, very humbling. Oh, it's, it was, I mean, it was one of those one things that like I made this up, I did the video and then, and then I did the actual thing afterwards and I was like, wow, that was one of my not so brighter ideas. <laughs> it was very effective, but I was like, wow, that was, you know, incredibly difficult. <laughs> but, I, but I've done it since. And the nice thing that I found too, is that I, I have increased stability in each leg because I, I don't typically do a lot of single yeah. leg stuff. And so there's been a huge right. benefit from doing that. And now it doesn't hurt quite as bad when doing the 400 That's meter awesome. walk. Yeah. It's like one of the things like, you have, I mean, you got to do it more than once. I mean, once is cool, but like you do it like, you know, somewhat regularly, you'll see, you know, a greater benefit from it and, you know, incorporating more, you know, I try to like in my accessory work that I program for people, always try to include unilateral work, you know, because most people just, you know, don't do that, you know, and you don't think to do it, yep. you know, and then you just develop like imbalances. And then there's the, there's the mentality piece too, because as I was explaining to my daughter who came up with it, she's like, it's just like 165 pounds and she could do this for 400 meters and you couldn't. I'm like, shut <laughs> the hell up, child. <sighs> the, the mo- motivation doesn't stop in my house very much, but. That's funny. <laughs> so maybe talk about that a little bit, Laura. I know you've got the gym. Uh, you've got you know you've got the sweatshop where you guys do more personal training, powerlifting. You've got the CrossFit facility where you guys are doing group classes. How did you get involved with the kind of remote programming business, and how has that evolved through the years? Um, back in like, I started doing it back in 2013. Um, I mean, even prior to that, I had like a few people that I would like do workouts you know, send workouts to, but not really. Um, like 2013, I remember a good friend of mine who owns um, CrossFit Maximus down in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. He was, um, he started like an online, which I still use, watchfollow.com. He started, he, he and a, like a programming kind of guy, they started this business of like, we're going to have this, you know, website where programmers can, post their stuff and have people subscribe. And, um, and I was like really reluctant. He's like, you should do it. You should do it. I was like, oh, I don't know. And, um, and so I decided to start doing it and like, it was like insane. It was like, we got tons of people that signed up. It was crazy mm-hmm. cause it was just so new, you know, right. um, remote programming was so new. This was like seven years ago. Yeah. That's definitely um, before years the, ago. 
I mean, in the last <laughs> three, four, five years, it's definitely gotten big, but that was definitely before exactly. that trend. Trendsetter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, so it was like kind of had the market cornered. It was like, you know, really nice back then. Um, you know, it has, you know, dropped off a little bit over the years just because there are so many people doing it, mm-hmm, Sure. you know, so, um, that's kind of a bummer for me, but, um, but there's, you know, plenty of business to go around and, you know, I'm not really, you know, I'm not like trying to like be a millionaire. I just, you know, want to pay the rent and, uh, help people fair, out, you know fair. what I mean? So I, you know, I enjoy it. I mean, I've been doing that every, I mean, you know, every single, you're kind of a slave to it really. Cause it's like, it has to be posted, you know, um, sure. When it's like a subscription like that, it's like it has to be in there um, every day for people. So it's been, I said, almost eight years of every single day putting workouts in there for powerlifting and then also for wow. CrossFit, for, you know, CrossFit, like for their, you know, strength um, strength work and their conditioning work, which I work with um, one of the, our head coach that we have for the CrossFit gym. He, he programs the conditioning, the Metcons and stuff for that, but I do the strength work. Um you know, you know, so I have that. And then I also have like people that I work with, like individually, like, you know, where, you know, more hands on, like the subscription, the wad follow is literally like just, you know, I post that and people see it and they're on, you know, they're doing it on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. You know, I always post like video links and things like that, but like my individual clients are the ones that, you know, we talk all the time and video review and like help them meet prep and things like that, you know, so right. I do have, um, a list of people like uh, like that too, but then um, people that just really just want a program to follow, um, the wad follow is is ideal because it's literally and it's not. I think you know maybe some people would assume like that the the wad follow is like a real basic generic program. No, it's exactly like what I would do if I was training, like um, competing or mm-hmm. you know um, you know trying to get stronger. It is exactly you know what I you know would have my girl you know people that I coach do, you know, so I mean, it's not like, it's definitely no slouch program. You're not, you're not mailing it in by any means. Right. Right. And it's very creative, like with like accessory work and it's always varied. It's, it's just constantly, you know, you're never doing the same thing. Like it's, it's definitely not boring. You're not, you know, um, always doing, you know, a lot of different variation of things. Sure. Sure. Well, uh, yeah. that sounds like a whole lot of cardio, and I'm just not going to do that. But hey, it sounds <laughs> sounds dope. Sounds sounds like cool paper. <laughs> so, so maybe talk a little bit about uh, you know shifting gears a little bit. You know how you got and why you got involved in, in promoting meats. I mean, obviously you mentioned earlier the the wins program, but you know what got you into promoting meats and and wanting to do that. Um, I would say it was back. Um, I can't remember what year it was. It had to have been. Oh my gosh, I can't remember. Um, we started with like a bench meet. We did like an in-house, like in the sweatshop um, bench meet. I mean, it was headed in like 2010 or something because that's all we had. We didn't have any CrossFit gym or anything. So we we would just like clear out and just have like bench meets in the gym. Because um, at that time we were, you know, we basically just followed suit with whatever Louie was supporting at the time. And, right. and at that time it was the SPF. And um, so... You know, Jesse Rogers would help me, like, you know, figure out how to, like, run a meet, you know. So um, I kind of got some experience at other meets, helping other people at the table to run. At at the time, it was just cards. Like, you know, there were people using computer systems, but that's not how we did it. We had just, like, the cards, you know, um, which is just, like, now I look back and I'm like, how did we ever do that with just paper cards? (laughs) But, um, 
That's what we used but that yeah, summer bash you did back in 05. Yeah. Which we, oh, wow, yeah. We still exactly. use them. Just, yeah, we still use the cards. Yeah, yeah. right, just as backup. We, still do, yeah. we do, too. But, you know, it was the end of the meet when you were trying to figure out placing and stuff. Oh, That's when it got, yeah. like... Oh, gross. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah, we started with just, um, just bench meets, and then after that it was the Women's Pro-Am, and that actually came about because like, I met Kara Weston and started talking to her, and she um, she essentially had the first women's program. It was you know I don't remember can't remember which what year it technically was, but um, she talked to me about it and um, I went out and did her meet twice. Okay, maybe it was just once. I went out to help her with the second one. I went out to Sacramento is where it was, and it was uh-huh. um, she had it was just all women, which was crazy. I mean, I think she had like I don't know, it was probably like thirty, um, maybe more women. It was just like which was just crazy to me, like. You know, I, I saw it start happening because, you know, once CrossFit became more popular, yeah. um, you know, we saw, you know, I would see people like get into CrossFit and, you know, women and then decide, I mean, I really want to, I like being strong. I want to get stronger. And you know, see so all these people like starting to like focus more on strength, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I really, I always say this, but I really think that, you know, it really helped popularize um, women's powerlifting with yeah, CrossFit. You know, 100%. That's what yeah, I a think, lot of people. No yeah. doubt. Even if you don't like CrossFit, you can't deny that it's probably introduced more females to a barbell than any other exercise form and ever. Oh, oh yeah. I, sure. I just say people in general. Yeah. Yeah, right. Definitely women. Definitely women. It's absolutely. I mean, I mean, a lot of the people I see at meets that I talk to when I'm weighing them in, I, you know, you know, just chat with them and they talk about like how they got their start in CrossFit and then, you know, switched to powerlifting. Yeah. So mm-hmm. to this day, that's still what's bringing, you know, females to powerlifting. So we're, we're going to keep converting um, them too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, meeting Kara and seeing her women's program, it was like, okay, we, let's try this. That, let's try this. Let's try to have a real meet, like a, you know, three lift meet. Mm-hmm. And um, we'll do it with just women only. And um, we did it in the sweatshop because, you know, still at the time we did not, I think it was in 2012, um, we did not have the the CrossFit gym yet. So right. we had it in the sweatshop and we had to move everything out of it. Like we had to move every piece of equipment oh, out gosh. to make room. Like it was crazy. It was pouring down rain, but we had like 44 women sign up for the meet. Wow, that's cool. Um, and it was just like, this is, I mean, after that, I was totally hooked. You know, we had a seminar the next day. Um, back in the day, we used to have a seminar the second day for, for the women. Like, we would have, like, a women's only, you know, lifting clinic because mm-hmm. it was, like, all these people are already in town, you know, like, they wouldn't have to travel again if they ever wanted to attend a seminar about it. Sure. Um, you know, we stopped doing that just because we ended up having to switch the program to a two-day event now. But, sure. Um, but, yeah, back then it was cool. It was, like, a whole weekend. We called it, like, the Women's Power Weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, with that, that first meet being such a success, it was like that, you know, obviously sparked us to keep having the women's program, but then also we started having like one or two other meets throughout the year, just like normal, you know, men and women, you know, powerlifting competitions. So kind of, that's just kind of how we got into it. But, um, you know, so I really credit Kara Weston for encouraging me to have another one. Like it was like, she would have hers in the, um, in like the fall and mm-hmm. then ours would be in the spring. Um, she doesn't do the meets anymore out there. Um, right. you know, so now you know, everybody's kind of just filtered to the, to the, you know, Cincinnati women's program. And 
you know, and then, you know, I've been kind of working with Kara, or not with, Kara, with Rita West about, you know, she's, you know, started to bring on like a women's powerlifting meet, and it was mm-hmm. supposed to be June uh, 6th, I think it was, um, but obviously with everything that's going on, that, that had to be canceled, but, you know, it'd be kind of cool to like kind of build, um, you know, another women's meet. You know, I think there's plenty of, of uh, room for it, you know, to have a couple each year, that, you know, two that support each other. Yeah, I mean, and you and you rewind eight, ten years ago. That was definitely unique to have forty, fifty women only at a meet. Yeah, for I mean, sure. I, I've talked about <laughs> I've talked about this in the podcast before, but in Illinois, we would be lucky if we had ten women in a meet. And in oh rec- yeah. And in the last three, four, five years, we've had meets where we've had fifty or sixty women. The entire days, almost yeah, a day. Yeah, That's an entire women. platform and session of women. Yeah. So. Right, awesome. right. So when we had like forty something women show up to the first one, I was like, "This is my calling right here. This is, this is awesome. Like, I want, I really want to like do something with this. You know, like the fact that like forty something women came here, you know, to do a competition. Like, you know, it just kind of became like a kind of like a passion. You know, sure. And I now think- we have like a hundred and. You know, 130, 140 women that come for the program yeah. every year. So. Yeah. Sold out in minutes usually. No, no spots yeah. left. Yeah. Literally, not not the Man, I'm three really spots glad left. That only. That this year, was like, <laughs> like coincidentally, we ended up, you know, changing the date to December, and I'm really glad we did. And hopefully, we can still have it. Hopefully, they, you know, it's, it's weird to think that you know it might be a possibility that we couldn't, but I'm really glad that. It was, Do you guys have need for any spotters at all? This month, you know, and then have to like cancel it, you know. Yeah, I mean, just throwing it out there. If you guys have need for any spotters, you know, you know where to find me. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, after the WPO, I was like, this guy, I need anywhere with you when I was competing. <laughs> yeah, uh, not not lifting. I'll tell you that much. Well, but. you know, another person that probably be heading out there, Bane. So yeah, you know, it's true. There might be another spot in the uh, in the Stonemobile driving out to Cincinnati. Say so if the if <laughs> if the ladies want the hype, I will bring the heat to the platform. So <laughs> although they they do have well, excellent so spotters awesome. at Laura's meets. Um, her crew does a really nice job. I, As I have heard from, uh, yeah, from Crystal Tate and Bianca Hernandez that it's a great crew out there. So Very good. Kudos to you, Laura. Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> as well, you. just given that you're such a, a well-known historic lifter in female powerlifting, it certainly gives it that credibility For sure. um, that brings females out to it, um, even though you haven't lifted right. and competed in you know, five, five, six years. But, yeah, yeah I, th- I think it definitely lends a lot of credibility to it. Um, and yeah, it's, it's definitely becoming an event in and of itself. And having gone to my first women's prime, I think it was a couple years ago when you had me come out to judge. It is a, it, it is a very unique atmosphere for a meet. Um, it's, oh, un- yeah. I would say it's unlike any other meet that I've been to. Um, the WPO, you know, obviously it's its own entity that we've mm-hmm. seen the last couple of years, but yep. the women's prime, it's a little bit more of an intimate because yeah, now your CrossFit gym is is a, a very nice size facility. Don't get me wrong, but it it's a little bit more of an intimate environment in a CrossFit box. Oh yeah. Um, you know, you don't have gobs and gobs of room like we had at uh, at Pheasant Run last fall. Right. Um, right. But no issues. Plenty of space. Plenty of warm equipment, and you know, everyone just seemed to get along really well. I would say. Very supportive. Yeah, and like the first meet, the first women's round we had, that was the number one thing that we felt made it successful and what the, every person gave feedback about was that like the atmosphere was crazy. Like these women were like cheering each other on, like, you know, they were so, they felt so empowered and supported and, and, um, 
they loved that it was such a small space. They loved the intimateness, you know, intimacy mm-hmm. of of the fact that it was like kind of packed in a little bit. So I thought that was interesting. So when we ended up, um, you know, we opened the Carthage gym, the, the smaller one um, next to us um, the year late, uh, the year after. And I was like hesitant to move it over there because I mean it was a little bit bigger over there, and I was like, oh mm-hmm. my gosh, are we gonna lose? that intimacy and we didn't because that gym was still really, you know, pretty small. But when we moved the CrossFit gym across the parking lot to a bigger space, I was really nervous. I literally was like, I don't know if I want to have these over there because it'll be so much more spread out and will people be still be like as wild and intense and like, you know, whatever. I was really, I I was actually really nervous about that, but it ended up being like, you know, just as, you know, because it's still crowded in there. Um, and it's the, it, I don't know, I, I can't even explain it. I, I mean, every year is the same, we get the same feedback, but I remember the first year, I remember some of the West Side guys coming to watch that first one and they were like, this is one of the coolest things I've ever That's been, awesome. the best meet I've ever been to, you know, just not because of the way we ran it or anything like that, just like the way that the females, um, the community, you know, just yep. held themselves, you know, the community, it was crazy. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you said, atmosphere is everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's so cool. So tell us in general, Laura, kind of your thoughts on the state of powerlifting. Um, is it heading in a positive direction? Um, are there things you'd like, you know, to be done How, differently? Would you fix powerlifting somehow? <laughs> yeah. We have a whole episode <laughs> on that. <laughs> no, I mean, ultimately it's different, obviously. Like, I don't ever want to be that powerlifter that's like, oh, back, you know, back when I was lifting, it was so much better, you know, like, um, you know, do I think it was a little bit better not having all the social media all the time? Like, probably, because, like, you know, we just lifted. Like, we, I remember we would sometimes bring out, like, this camcorder to, like, record squats just so we could, like, literally review it. Like, we only had that so that we would, like, yeah. just watch it and see what we did wrong, you know, whereas now it's literally, like, this phone has to be out to record just so that it can go on Instagram, you know, and it's, like, that to me is a little disappointing, but it, it is mm-hmm. what it is. I'm, I'm also not like one of those people that's like, oh, it sucks now. You know, it's not. It's just that's just how it is now. It's the the evolution um, of of everything. You know, I don't. Right, exactly. And I don't think it necessarily means that you know, some person who posts everything that they do lift wise doesn't mean that they're any less focused or or whatever, or do less work or anything like that. Um, you know, it just is what it is. I'm just not used to it you know what i mean i guess in a way but sure. um but i mean how, i mean how could i say you know there's powerlifting is you know it's growing it's i mean as big as it's ever been like there's more lifters than i can even imagine right now the fact that if you look at how many meets there are and how many huge competitions there are that are all being packed you know and so yeah. that's pretty cool like it's not i mean you know would, would it be awesome to see everybody back in like you know because I always refer back when I, you know, talk, because a lot of the people at our gym now are younger and, you know, they don't, you know, remember 2007 APF Nationals when it was like everybody was there. It well, was because they were in middle school then. I mean, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Like, you know, there's, it's, it's, that bums me out a little bit that there's not, you know, something like that where it's just like everybody is at one place, you know, like, and I, I just remember that, that year, you know, 2007 Nationals and it's just like that. Everybody was there. Everybody who was lifting or the top in the sport, everybody was there. You know, obviously the WPO was more exclusive because you had to mm-hmm. qualify to get there. But like when it came to nationals, it was just like 
that was the place to be, you know, and, um, you know, so it's, it, it is a bummer that, you know, it's not like that, but, you know, that's so spread out and watered down a little bit, but, um, you know, that still doesn't mean, I mean, I, I my whole passion is to help grow the sport. So how, I mean, I can't be mad that it's grown so much that, yep. you know, that it is what it is. So, well, but there was a difference then. I mean, I, people don't believe me when I tell them, but yeah, 10, 15 years ago, there was only equipped. That's it. Yep. There wasn't raw. Right. There wasn't single ply. There wasn't raw with wraps. Nope. I've got my own opinions on that. But <laughs> we, we did a show on it. <laughs> yeah. And I don't have a problem with raw and equipped. I think there's a definitive difference between the two at a certain point. Um, but, you know, do I need the, the raw with wraps and Franz briefs? You know, police and fire, you know, (laughs) submasters, submaster 190 weight class. I mean, (laughs) how many different ways do I need to parse it out? Yeah. Right. Exactly. It just gets kind of, kind of ridiculous, you know, so it'd be cool if it was more, I just, you know, there's no way to, you know, get it back to that point. You just have to like, you know, that's why I'm like, okay, like I support the APF and the WPO and I want to make it, you know, make my meets as awesome as possible, which will help then, mm-hmm. you know, you know, help make the APF stronger and, you know, bring other meet directors to it, you know, and I'm glad now that Nick Showman is now like joined the APF, you know, that's ultimately, that's what we want. Like, it's like, okay, it's the, if um, these APF meets are, you know, good and they're credible and they look professional and the standards are good, then, you know, more people will want to join it and, you know, just help it, you know, kind of strengthen and grow. Agreed. Yeah, no doubt. Agreed. Yeah, be the be the change in the sport you want and grow it. Yeah. Right. Grow it at the grassroots level. You right. can't change everything in a sport. You can right. only affect what I know, you, can you can't, affect. like, get online and complain and tell people, like, you know. Well, you can. It just won't do anything. <laughs> so, it's so, it's so, it's so, you know, whatever. Like, you just have to, like, okay, like, how can I make it better, you know? Well, I, I do think we've started to see the pendulum swing back a little bit. I think three, four, five years ago, raw lifting was, like, everything oh yeah man and equipped lifting was nothing and i think through you know a few places you know your gym um chicago i think has always has been and probably always culture it will always continue to be big with equipped lifting just because of our history with it but there's a few pockets that continued but i think it you're starting to see that progression swing back to equipped lifting in the last even just two three years for sure yeah and it just takes like people that um you know, that are still, you know, equipped lifters that have some sort of influence on people to, you know, not push it on people, but, you know, like be there to help them if they want to, you know, transition into it, whether it's just with answering questions or, you know, coaching them. You know, I, I coach, I, I mean, I coach plenty of raw lifters online and, you know, and um, a lot of them, you know, have intentions or already or are already like, dabbling in gear you know so it's like <laughs> eric's pointing you know. at me right now <laughs> yeah bane's been raw up till now so i've been yeah. bugging him to go equipped for like three years well copland basically right. is like since the day like, i walked in pair of briefs and then you'll be sold like that's usually what it is like just wear these briefs. yeah that's you what you start with his briefs spot, you know <laughs> it was it was the, it was the shirt that did it like yeah. steve steve brock throw me in that shirt oh, was wow. like i i need to because here's the thing like i i and I don't want to take anything away from Laura's conversation, but I saw equipped lifting at my very first state meet. I'm like, I don't know what that is, but that looks cool. I'll figure it out later. Right, and right. Yeah. then as I learn more about the sport, and especially, you know, training at the Monster Garage, you know, I'd see, you know, the Coplins, the the Crystal Tates of the world. I watch her transition from raw to, to equipped. And wow, just watching that has been incredible. 
And I mean, when you see like a Barzim sure. Vaziri regularly come in and, you know, handle 800 pounds over his face, it's like, dude, this is, I mean, if the whole goal of the sport is to be strong, like this helps you right, become well, stronger. The whole goal of the sport is to move as much weight as possible. Right. And, but even still, like they're still getting stronger raw too. So like, sure. it's yes, you, you, and I like the idea of being not a one trick pony. I want to be smart and strong. And I feel like equip lifters right. have to be that. Cause you're oh, not, for sure. you're not just going to yeah. brute strength that thing up. If you miss, if you actually misgroove it. <laughs> I, I tell, I mean, I tell, I preach that all the time. It's like, you know, when I was competing, like, I mean, I only wore my bench shirt, re- like, rarely almost. Like, I really mm-hmm. focused more on my raw strength because it was like had a direct correlation. Like, I mean, right. more, my raw strong strength got better, my accessories got stronger, then my shirt of bench got better. You know, it, it was right. just absolutely directly correlated. You know, so, um, so yeah, I always thought it was funny. Like, my raw bench was awesome. Like when I was, you know, competing, you know, because I, I mean, people just assume that, like, you would get, like, weak, I guess, if you <laughs> compete in gear, and that's not the case, you well, know. The equipment does all the work, so obviously. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> that, that is interesting, though, Laura, because we, we talked to Bob Merck last week, mm-hmm. and he's one that says he's mm-hmm. in his shirt and touches almost every week. Every week. Which I can't even hardly imagine, versus I know I've I've chatted with Dave Hoff a little bit about his training, and... He said he hadn't touched in training in like two or three years. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, no, no, yeah. He's in his bed shirt. Bob's an anomaly. I don't I don't understand it. Like he's a freak. How he can do that. Like, I mean uh, that's how they did it. I mean, when I was like close to a meet, I would wear my shirt a lot, but in the off season, man, I yeah, rarely no wore that thing. Gotcha. So so Laura, you know, one of the things that I like to and Eric and I both like talking about with, you know, any elite level athlete is you know, share your thoughts on winning, like what it takes to win, progress, you know, that's because that's not just actions. That's a whole thought process. Can you, can you share a little bit of that with us too? Um, it's really just about confidence. Like I just like, I, I, I would definitely not call it arrogance, but I definitely had this like crazy confidence that like, that I can do it. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. that, I mean, I just I would set a number in my mind and that's like, I would do anything to get that. And I, I never was afraid to, like, fail or um, get hurt or anything. You know, mm-hmm. I was never, like, fearful. Like, when I would do it, you know, like, you just, you know, I saw people to trust, like, who you're training with. You know, you know, I never worried that I was going to, like, dump a bench over my face. I trusted the people I was with. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, just, like, being, you know, ultimately confident, but then also really disciplined. I mean, I really... You know, I I didn't like party, drink, nothing. Like, you know, I'm not saying like you get to like literally like never have any fun in your life, but like, mm-hmm. I mean, I really did. Like, just everything kind of revolved around my training. It was just like, well, now I have to. I squat heavy on Saturday morning, so you know, I go to bed early on Friday night. You know, like, there's just a lot of things. Like, it takes a lot of discipline, but also, you know, um, it's just there's just a mindset that you know, you, you can see that people have or they don't have. I mean, it doesn't mean that you can't get it, mm-hmm. you know, but um, but just, you know, ultimately just being incredibly confident and um, you're building a good, like, atmosphere. And, you know, like, I know that's not, you know, available to every person, you know, like having, like, tons of people to be able to train with. Sure. But, you know, building a good training crew, you know, having people that support you and um, encourage you. You know, but, you know, ultimately just believing in yourself. And, yeah, you can't. Because that's really, 
I was going to say, you can't yeah, be afraid I mean, to, to step under 700 pounds if you're trying to squat it at I know. 165. You know? Then, yeah. yeah, exactly. There's there's an audacity yeah. there. I, I like what you said there, Laura, is that you're not, it's not arrogance, but there is an audacity to say, I am 165 pounds, but I'm going to get out of this weight and I'm going to, I'm going to manhandle it basically. Yep. Yep. And like, you know, and it's like, in like looking out into the audience of people and knowing that those people really want to see, you know, they, like people get really nervous, like that when people watch them, it's like, you know, those people are, most of them don't compete in powerlifting and they're, they totally respect what every person is doing on the platform. So it's like, they're actually rooting for you, you know? So it's like, it's, uh, once people realize that, you know, that it's kind of like, okay, let me, let me show them something. Let me show them what I can do, you know, um, kind of yep. using that to your advantage as well. Show, show them why you're here. One of my favorite things yeah. to say to any lifter yeah. on, the, on the platform. Exactly. Exactly. So speaking of equipped lifting, Laura, um, I, I believe through the years you've been sponsored by Inzer. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but right. I, don't, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, your preferences on equipment that you use and what your relationship has been like with them through the years. Um, well, that first meet that I did, the, uh, the WPO meet that I did that, that September 2005, uh, like John Inzer wasn't there, but he had like his people there. Um, <laughs> yep. And and they came up and like and, like right then offered me a sponsorship. Mm-hmm. Um, you know th- that's when like they were kind of giving sponsorships a little more freely as well too. Like now it's like you hardly ever hear of anybody getting picked up. You know by no, Inzer unless you like just di- the crap out of them. Just discount codes. You know? Yeah, just discount yeah, codes exactly. for your supplements. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and right, right. Back in those early two thousands, there were a lot of Inzer sponsored lifters. Mm-hmm. Definitely, there was definitely more yeah. then than now, which is interesting considering. There's way more power lifters now, maybe not way more equipped lifters. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know what the, you know, what it was. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, speculation of, you know, just people kind of burning John a little bit, you know, um, you know, and I get that, like, you know, he, you know, he expects like loyalty in return, you know? Um, and so, I mean, he's always been incredibly good to me to this day. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't even compete in powerlifting, but if I wanted a pair of briefs, you know, he would send them right away, you know, um, because I mean, I still, even though I don't compete, I still, you know, encourage, you know, always promote and encourage using equipment, using Inzer because I literally fully believe that it's the best. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I've coached plenty of people and worked with plenty of people in person and, you know, truly feel like that's the equipment that, overall works the best for the majority of people. You know, it's easiest to work with. Um, you know, when I was competing, you know, I, I wore Predator briefs, which are still obviously around. Um, and I wore the old canvas suit, the, the white canvas, which <laughs> is, OG you know, is still around people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, some people are actually going back to that now, you know, like, you know, I think the, the, um, the lace-up suit, the Leviathan, that works well for some people, but some people not really. You know, that's, that's what's great about it's having two options of canvas suits. Um, you know, but I, I don't, I never had any experience competing in, in the lace-up suit, so it's like um, the Ultra Pro, so I don't really know what if that would work better for me, but I always wore a really, really tight OG Leviathan, like mm-hmm. that was, you know, it, it would slide on no problem. My legs would always pump up so much it would be really hard to take off so that would have been nice to have some laces to just flip it off sure 
but I don't know that it would have actually helped me squat anymore. Um, and then I wore, I, from like three fourths of my career, I wore the, the, um, Rage X, the double fly Rage X, <laughs> and then switched to the, um, super duper phenom, which I love and whatnot, but like it, I don't think that it's like light years better. I mean, maybe it is, but like, I, if you think about it, I squat, I benched 530 in the, the, um, Rage X. And then, you know, that was in 2012, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I really only had a couple years, two, three years in the um, Super Duper Phenom. And, you know, went from 530 to 540, so 10, 10 more pounds. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, it wasn't like I, like, benched 50 pounds more or whatever. Um, but that you still bench Like more. I said, that doesn't mean that it's not, like, way better bench shirt. I just knew how to bench for a shirt, whether sure. it was a... Uh, Rage X or the Ultra or, or the um, Super Duper Phenom. I just I knew how to bench, like actually technique wise for a bench shirt. So I, I mean, it could have been any shirt that they made that I w- I could figure out how to get the most out of it. Yeah, it did seem like in those late two thousands, early twenty tens that the Rage X was definitely the big shirt, and it seems like now almost all, if lifters lift. Uh, in an injury shirt, it seems like almost everybody uses the Super Duper Phenom mm-hmm. now, including myself. I've tried a Ray Jackson. Man, those things are freaking just hard as it's, hell to use. I mean, so oh stiff. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like it's, even, if the, even if they were equal as far as what you get out of them, you would just wear the, the Super Duper Phenom so because much easier. it's so much more comfortable. It's, like, softer. It stretches more. Um, more forgiving on your touch after, point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember wearing the seen them for a couple of years and then one day in training I just decided just for the hell of it to try the my old Rage X and I was like ha- I, I put it down like halfway and I put it right back in the rack I was like <laughs> how did I ever nope, today. my arms in this shirt like how did I do that I have no clue yeah it's so like it it's funny. like the overkill shirt that some oh, of the gotcha. lifters wear around here yeah, it's yeah. really really super stiff material that, yeah you know it seems like a few yetis Matt Maynooth and Barzine can get to work but mm-hmm. The other lifters all talk right. about their one two board PRs and yeah, that's can all never touch. Yeah, they can never touch for sure, for sure. Yeah. All right, so the final question, Laura, and we—I know we sent you these so you can be prepared. So I'm going to ask it: oh, Will God. we? Will we ever see the Queen <laughs> Bee back on the platform? Uh like as much as I would love to, I just think I'm literally so far gone. Um, as, as far as like physically, mindset, like you know, I just. You know, I just really have always wanted to, like, you know, I made my mark. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm healthy still. I would love to keep it that way. You know, um, you know, I kind of, kind of came out of powerlifting pretty unscathed. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, so for me to come back and like, I, you know, I never say never, but I just don't think it never's a long time. Yeah, exactly. I know, I know. You know, so it's kind of like why I would put my body through that. I just, I just don't really have a desire to. I really like coaching other people, and I like mm-hmm. um, training just to train and stay fit. I love working out. Like, I mean, no matter what I've, what point in my life I've been in, like, yeah, I, I just love to work out. Like, so, right. you know, I find myself doing CrossFit workouts or lifting or whatever, and just being able to enjoy doing all that is, at least for now, is like what is kind of what I like to do. And I'll just leave it to everybody else to do cool things. I go to meets and I love watching people lift and I, mm-hmm. you know, with my own lifters making big 
stuff or even other people. Like I get emotional watching them, you know, Um, and that's good enough for me. I never leave there thinking, man, I want to do this again and have that feeling. Like I had that feeling a ton of times and, you know, I just have those memories now, you know? Sure. Sure. Well, I I will tell you, if you do ever decide to, you know, make that comeback, uh, all the hype you see the WPO will be waiting there for you. (laughs) Oh, that would be awesome. That would be worth it just for that. (laughs) Say him. Start it out there. My brother Ken always says when people say they're retired, he says, oh, until your next meet? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, there is this new thing, the WPO, that is on ESPN3 and, Mm -hmm. you know, could possibly be on other ESPN platforms in the future. So Someone say. like Alora Phelps would fit excellently onto that kind of platform. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> like that's kind of a bummer that it's, there's always like new cool things like that. It's you know would be really awesome, but still not enough to entice me. <laughs> that's that's fair. But you, but you know what's cool is that the lineage that you've been able to provide. Because I mean, I think you had you have five lifters at the WPO this year. I think so. We had Cassette and Dan and Leah and Nikki and you know, yeah, we had. I mean, we had yeah, Four or five, we had yeah. five. Yeah, so I mean, you, you yeah. that's out of you know sixty lifters. That's that's amazing. Well, and and you talked about right. people moving out to Cincinnati. Yeah, uh, Cassette, who won the the women's semifinals, yes. she moved. She did the, the I think From the WPO. California. Yeah, she did the WPO in twenty eighteen, mm-hmm. and after that, she moved to Cincinnati. Correct, her and her husband. Yeah. Dan. Yep, yeah. just to train at the gym, literally wow. just to train at the sweatshop. And, That's... Um, you know, she also at that meet also beat my 11-time body weight record, which yep. was cool. And what we found out afterwards, which I wish we would have known and had the wherewithal to do the math while we were doing, while she was benching, was that she, so I have, I guess, I think, I, I mean, she said I still have the highest pound-for-pound equipped bench. Mm-hmm. Um like let's say I, I don't know what it is off the top of my head but i think it's like 3.25 or something mm-hmm. and she with her you know she broke the world record in her weight class bench and it was and when she did the math it was like 3.24 or something like that oh, and it was no. like oh my gosh you know it was kind of like one of those things and in hindsight was like should we have taken the next weight up she might not have got it and might not have that world record you know but it's to be that close it was like now i want her to be that you know okay, we got we got the super finals coming up so what a place to do it there right and i'm, and I'm glad i know that now because then i can use that when she's coming up to the yeah. platform so i'm i'm very glad yeah that <laughs> awesome awesome well laura i i always like to end these and, and or eric and i like to end them with just anything else that you'd want to, to put out there i mean you've you've obviously done a ton of stuff in this sport you're you know I'm going to say it, you're a legend in this sport. And no doubt. I appreciate you taking the time with us today. Anything else you want to put out there for everybody? Uh, not, I mean, not necessarily. I mean, if anybody needs has any questions or needs to get a hold of me or any of my information about, you know, I teach, mm-hmm. I travel around and teach seminars and stuff like that, but it's on my website, queenbeepower.com. Mm-hmm. Um, Social but, media, yeah, how do they find you? For me, uh, queenbeepower.com, they can um, message me through there or find out information about the programming and seminars Mm -hmm. and things like that. And then what what are your handles on uh, on the socials? Um, I just have Instagram. I mean, Facebook, but on Instagram, it's uh, queenbeepower. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you put out a lot of content on Instagram. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I I I have... um, What's nice about, like, this quarantine is that, like, it's like, okay, like, what are some ways I can 
I don't know, just like reach people and have been doing mm-hmm. these Zoom clinics on Thursday nights, which yeah. have been like oh, cool. crazy popular. And I, I mean, it's been so fun, actually. Like, I didn't know how it would go because I'm used to teaching these like clinics in person with people. And mm-hmm. um, so to like speak to like a camera was kind of weird. But like, then I, I just really enjoyed it because people like ask a bunch of questions. So we did like squat on week one, bench on week two. Last week we did deadlift. And then this Thursday we're doing. Um, accessories lower body accessories nice. so i you know it's, i i demonstrate and do all that stuff and you know the link is on my instagram like in my bio but mm-hmm. um and then there's even like um recorded you know we recorded the bench one we recorded the deadlift so that because we were like oh people we didn't record the squat because i didn't know people would like be like wanting to like see it again sure. you know so i have the bench and deadlift and we'll be recording the um accessories one but it's they're like 60 minutes and it's just like go covers like technique on bench and deadlift and then like a big like i said the accessory work this um this uh thursday and they're only ten dollars nice awesome yeah awesome. i mean yeah. I, I, overall the quarantine is not a positive <laughs> for probably just about anybody yeah but there will, i think there will right, be some right. there will be some innovation that things like that for sure that you can bring out yeah, of something like this i mean you exactly know, just necessity creative and think of ways right mm-hmm for sure, for sure. Yeah. Well, it has been excellent to have you on, Laura. It, it's it's fun Thank to kind of come full circle, uh, meeting right. you. At, and, <laughs> and that was only the second meet I ever ran. I ran the Summer Bash in That's four. That's because it was awesome. I mean, looking back to at it now, it was a great meet, even by standards for today, you mm-hmm. know? For sure. Yeah, my second meet I ran, and... Um, I was happy when you uh, messaged me, I don't know, what, when it was two, three years ago and said you were going to start running your meets APF and asked me to come out and help uh, yeah. help judge. Um, it's it's always fun to go out to your meets. I always really enjoy them. Maybe Bane will join me at the next one in December. If, if I'm welcome, I will, I will <laughs> make it happen. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> Awesome and and I just thank you guys so much yes, for having me. This has been super thank you. fun. It's uh, it was awesome and I'm I'm gonna continue fanboying. It was uh, it was dope getting to talk to you, Laura. So just thank you so much. For oh yeah, us today. one of our members who I think I we introduced <laughs> to, uh, to you at uh, the semifinals, Dixie Salerno, is like another like total fangirl and was like afraid wow. to say hello to you. And so I was trying to talk to you and like <laughs> kind of inch you towards her, and then finally she's like, hi, hi Laura, I'm Dixie. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'll, I'll end with That's this. I, awesome. I've actually been in the room with you four different times, Laura, and the first time I've ever actually spoken a word to you was at the semifinals. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's yeah, so, so funny. Sorry if that's like, weird, but... Uh. I was making sure that I talked to you because I was like, man, this guy is good. Like, it, I mean, it really makes a big difference. I think I told you that because like, mm-hmm. when I did the WPO you know, in 2006 and 2007... There was um, a guy who was the back spotter, and mm-hmm. I don't even know what his name was. Very well known, like, though. Yeah, he yeah. was so good. Like, I, I'll never forget it, you know? So it's just like, you know, people really, really remember that. Yeah, and I just, I, you know, as you said, I'm, I'm a huge fan, too, of just the uh, the sport. And so if I if we can help create that atmosphere, and I know the rest of the guys that are up there with me, they feel the same way, that a lifter can turn it up a notch, dude, let's, let's do it. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, I love it. Cool. Well, with that, Laura, thanks so much. This is Eric Stone signing out. You're welcome. Strength and anger.